Hey, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to to join the show. Appreciate it. No problem. Nice to meet cool. you. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch that. No, I said nice meeting you. Oh yeah, same here, same here. Nice meeting you. Uh, yeah. So let me just switch to yeah, gallery view here. So. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time. I know that's a nice background. So let's, uh, yeah, I remember reading a tweet uh, a couple of days back from you about the uh, smoke in uh, Palo Alto. It reminded you of uh, the the smell in uh, Bangalore, Shanghai, and the Ankara you grew up in. So yeah. uh, I was wondering how's the smoke situation in Palo Alto now? It is still uh, unbearable. Like, uh, I mean, the thing is, the way I grew up, I can go out and walk. I am a big uh, walker, but... Uh -huh. uh, According to the, the index, is 152, and it says unhealthy uh, air quality. So I don't have permission to go out. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, hope, hope, hope. Uh, yeah, hope we get some showers and yeah, things improve. Yeah, yeah we need showers. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Cool. Hey, uh, thanks again. So uh, just quick context, uh, you know, as we dive into this. So the, uh, yeah, we invite uh, engineering and technology leaders to come on and share their observations on. Uh, engineering objectives, culture, uh, organization, and systems. So, uh, so that's the sort of uh, uh, high-level context. And in terms of, as we talk through this, uh, it will be helpful if we sort of uh, uh, use a couple of initiatives that you have worked on uh, as an example to talk through, right? In terms of, uh, you know, uh, the the background. Um, so, uh, just uh, to 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 dive in. Uh, before we dive in, I wanted to. Uh, take a few minutes for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background uh, for for the, the the listeners. Sure. <clears throat> so uh, I uh, I was born and uh, raised, grew up in uh, Ankara, Turkey, and uh, and uh, I went to school there. And I have a background in mathematics and computer science, and. Uh, I decided to drop out of PhD and started to work in the industry. And I had like about a year experience in the industry in Turkey. And uh, right after the end of the first year, uh, I was hired by Microsoft. Microsoft was doing uh, international recruiting trips back then. This was after Windows 95 was shipped. So yeah, I'm that old. So, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, they uh, they were like uh, quite keen about like uh, Eastern Europe and uh, uh, Northern Africa, like uh, Egypt and like uh, the usual places in Eastern Europe and including including Turkey. And uh, with that uh, recruiting trip, I ended up getting an offer from Microsoft, and I decided to move to Seattle from Ankara. And uh, I spent about sixteen years at Microsoft as an engineer, engineering manager, engineering leader. And uh, I was always part of a Windows engineering team and uh, mostly on the system side, mostly on the Windows server side, lower level stuff relatively. And uh, the last three years of that 16 years I spent in Windows Azure, I was in the, in the first uh, early Azure engineering team, like when it was less than 200 people. And uh, that was quite an experience and I spent about three years there. And after that, uh, as a family, we decided to move to Bay Area, and uh, I ended up uh, at Oracle, and uh, that was the time when Oracle was going through the cloud transformation as well. The Oracle mm -hmm. Public Cloud was still uh, uh, just in the talks, and uh, I spent about a year in Oracle, and then I moved to VMware uh, six and a half years ago. 
And uh, since then, I've been uh, in like a couple of different roles in VMware. But uh, in the core, at the core of it, like for the last uh, about like 10 years, I've been spending like majority of my time on like engineering transformation and how to like uh, strengthen uh, your engineering culture. So that started with like uh, me moving from like traditional Windows Server team to Azure and how to make that mindset shift myself. And uh, that taught me a lot because I ended up uh, realizing that I first need to change myself and transform myself before anybody else. So uh, because of the cloud uh, and uh, the way the cloud engineering is done. And then I ended up using that experience in Oracle and I've been uh, using uh, in uh, VMware as well. And uh, now like uh, I've been uh, running a, a horizontal team across VMware that serves the entire engineering organization and actually across entire company on engineering services and everything that uh, an engineer or anybody needs when they need anything about infrastructure. So uh, it's a central team, it's called uh, VMware Engineering Services. Cool, cool. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Hussein, for the context. Uh, that, that was uh, pretty helpful. I actually uh, uh, recall watching a, a talk that you gave at uh, the O'Reilly Velocity uh, Conference in, in 2015, uh, where you talked about uh, uh, you know, the uh, engineering transformation at VMware. And I know it's, it's been a journey. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, things that, uh, uh, you know, have been going on at VMware. So I think that would be sort of, uh, you know, uh, helpful as a context as we talk through, you know, objectives, uh, culture, uh, uh, organization and systems. So, uh, uh, in, in, and uh, in, in terms of uh, specifically the, uh, uh, you know, uh, journey that, that started, I guess, five plus years back, uh, uh, where, do, where would uh, you say in terms of that journey itself, uh, you know, VMware is at? I know it's an ongoing journey, but, uh, you know, uh, since the, the talk that you gave at, uh, uh, the Velocity Conference. I also read two of your recent blogs, one that you wrote last year and one uh, the year before. Uh, so I'm just curious in terms of your current assessment of where VMware is in that journey, and then we can jump into further details. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> like you uh, stated uh, a few times, it is a journey and it's not something that you have a goal post that you can go reach and just call it like touchdown. So that never happens. And that's in a way like to me, that's the part I personally like. Some people get a little bit disappointed because they like to see a target and they like to reach that target and call it done. But uh, cultural transformation is not something like that. Mm -hmm. So the goalpost keeps moving and uh, that teaches everybody that like a learning is something that never stops. So sure. as part of that, uh, uh, one thing that we wanted to like put extra emphasis is like this is a common problem in enterprise software. Like, uh, uh, things might be different, like for consumer space, like uh, I don't want to make that distinction, but like enterprise software has its own like traits that you need to pay like uh, a lot of attention because of the criticality of the software that's going to run at customer sites. And uh, the quality and uh, reliability and resiliency of the product becomes uh, super critical, especially like switch to cloud. Uh, you have much less room for uh, issues. And actually, uh, you can have issues and uh, you expect the presence of the issues, but like your code should be able to like either self-heal or find a way to
to like uh, recover uh, uh, as best as possible, or you should have the systems and uh, the tools in place to be able to have a very short uh, MTTA mean time to acknowledge the issue and mean time to resolve the issue. So as long as you have the tools and processes in place to be able to handle this, like you are going to be in a good spot. But uh, the software quality, even though it's a broad term, uh, it is still like top of mind, like for the leaders and like uh, the people who are selling the product. And one thing that was core to our transformation was like how we are going to ensure the better quality. So, and I've seen that in uh, Windows releases like over and over again, uh, like in uh, late 90s, early 2000s, that uh, 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 the earlier belief was like if we test uh, more and if we have more testers, the product is going gonna to have higher quality. Mm -hmm. So I've seen like test organizations like hundreds, like sometimes thousands of people. I'm not exaggerating. I've seen test organizations like uh, thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though a lot of people on the manufacturing side uh, has shown this like many times that uh, quality is not an afterthought, cannot be an afterthought. And uh, uh, establishing the quality by uh, inspection or later in the cycle is not really going to help you to deliver something uh, that you may call high quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the mindset, the shift that we wanted to have, actually now like in the recent days, like uh, uh, this uh, phrase became uh, much more popular, like uh, uh, shift left type of uh, thinking. So, and uh, what we've been doing uh, in VMware as well was, uh, making sure that like we invest more on uh, uh, prevention than detection. Sure. And for that, uh, I'm not saying that we don't need people whose sole job is like uh, quality, but those teams should be like really lightweight and mm -hmm. uh, constitute like small number of individuals who has like very particular skills around like uh, software quality. And uh, with that, we actually ended up eliminating the role and uh, in a way the title that has the, the, the quality or quality assurance in it. And uh, because one thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that like nobody thinks that quality is job of like certain set of people. So mm -hmm. the key thing was to ensure that quality is everybody's business and we have to find the problems from the beginning actually prevent them. So. We had this famous phrase, like uh, when I first joined my uh, boss back then, Microsoft was the CTO of uh, VMware. And we had this phrase that uh, became quite popular across the company called uh, Dev Owns Quality. So actually in that talk, I was also talking about that. We wanted our developers to change their mindset from like thinking that somebody is going to test this and they may find it to like, I'm not going to introduce the defect from the uh, at the first place and uh, we actually uh, needed to like spend a lot of time with uh, people to explain them like what this means which which actually uh, in a way means that like we expect your developers to be like more quality centric and that means that less features and, sure. and in your conversations the the good thing is when you tell people that would you prefer like uh, n features with mediocre quality versus uh, and, uh, and divided by two features, 
with high quality. Everybody like uh, fix the ladder. But uh, when you let them, when you let people to work, especially engineers, the tendency with gonna be to for the, to the form. So people like to have like more features, and uh, with that quality degrades. And the debate was like, yes, we are gonna have like low throughput. Is that okay? And uh, we gave that uh, comfort to the engineers that we are not after like more features. We are more after the quality. And uh, we went through the traditional like uh, change management uh, phases that uh, uh, people had the phase of like uh, denial, rejection, and then uh, we slowly went into like acceptance phase and then people started to implement and we started to see that it's becoming like part of the culture. So for this particular aspect, I can comfortably say that we made a lot of progress and uh, we are now like more of like a developer owns quality type of a company and uh, we are relying less on uh, uh, people whose uh, job is exclusively quality. And we also eliminated the job function, which used to be called like a sustained engineering. So which means like uh, you deliver a product and another set of people in some other geography are going to like deal with the, the, the N minus one version and everybody is going to, the rest of the team is going to work for version N. So, that was again another like traditional approach from 90s. We also eliminated that altogether. So we don't have people whose job is mainly like uh, uh, maintaining the old versions. So with that, uh, we, I can comfortably say that like we made a lot of progress, but uh, again, like this not the type of the thing that we can call done. So sure. it needs to become like a muscle memory so that whenever we have new people, they also like uh, hear and see like in action and do the same sure sure thanks yeah i think that's definitely uh, helpful in terms of yeah uh, thinking about it so uh, when we talk about these uh, four buckets that i mentioned earlier right uh, the uh, engineering objectives uh, the culture uh, and values and the organization and the systems uh, do you sort of uh, have uh, the notion of a set of documents uh, uh, which you use to sort of communicate and capture these across your teams or is this, uh, uh, I'm sure there are process documents for various things that you do, but I was more curious about, uh, you know, the, the overall uh, objectives uh, for your teams, uh, you know, how do you sort of capture and communicate them to the, to the team? I'm sure there are tools as well in various companies, yeah. but I was more interested in your philosophical view on yeah. how you uh, approach engineering objectives. Yeah. I mean, one thing at the core of it is like, uh, I am, I'm big fan of like understanding like the, the, the movements and like the, the new approaches like in the industry. But in the meantime, I'm like a big opponent of like picking any model or method as is and trying to like implement for your organization. So with that, like I actually like uh, after ended up uh, moving to Bay Area, like uh, so-called like Silicon Valley, I started to see more of like this like a uh, buzzword creation and like uh, the, the fashionable movements and how it spreads to the rest of the world and how people just pick them like literally without not, mm -hmm. without thinking that like what this means to us and what means to this means to our culture. So sure. the core thing that uh, we do like collectively is to make sure that whatever we are picking up, we create VMware version of it because we have our own culture. It's not just the engineering culture, it's the overall culture. And uh, 
we just uh, adopt it in a way that like we would be able to tell that, that this is the way we do it. And mm -hmm. it may not work for any other company because like as a living organism, like our culture, it is the one that works for us. And sure. with that, uh, we do have like uh, tools and uh, documentation in place. And uh, uh, the, one of the key thing that you hear in uh, most companies is like uh, how they approach to SDLC, the software development life cycle. And uh, sometimes they uh, pick up like a, uh, just like a publicly available one or a textbook one. And uh, they combine that with a methodology. Like uh, these days, everybody like uses like water wool as like a, uh, as a, a corrupt word. And instead, like everybody talks about like agility, agile, and every uh, single like phrase that's associated with agile. And every company, every team claims to be agile as well. So, uh, and uh, the, the key thing, the key reminder that I do everyone like in the organization is in my talks and in my like, uh, just like uh, uh, welcoming like new engineers is like, uh, how agility started, how agile started was like uh, four item manifesto with like four little bullets. And mm -hmm. it was more about like software is becoming much more complicated and uh, the, the people interactions are becoming much more important. Uh, we value like running code more than uh, like documentation and uh, the customer centricity and also being able to adapt to changes as fast as possible. They just put this down and they just threw it out and we ended up having an industry around this now. Right. With all the jobs, yeah. like certifications, coaches, masters, like uh, owners, like, uh, one thing that I personally am trying to push to is to make sure that uh, we are not like uh, just like following something as a fad. Instead, mm -hmm. like uh, there are like good things in agile. Like for example, like it talks about like uh, customer centricity. It talks about like running code. Like some of these things like uh, could be like combined with like uh, other approaches. Like uh, in uh, in the past, like for example, like rapid prototyping was. A common thing and the name was not as fancy and then there, there came like a design thinking design thinking also has like rapid prototyping at the heart of it so we value all these things and we create our own version of these and uh, we put them in documents and we had like one version of stlc for on-premise products and then with the shift to cloud and the SaaS. We realized that like the version that we have for the, the on-premise products, which has like much more traditional like uh, steps and uh, uh, the things to uh, pay attention, we started to spend like most of our energy like uh, creating something uh, almost exclusively for cloud. And it ended up becoming like sort of like this uh, uh, master document that we call it a uh, boss and BOSS stands for Building and Operating SaaS, uh, the B-O-S-S. And uh, the, it, like as a word, it also sounds good because that's the boss for all of us. Like uh, we just mm -hmm. follow what the boss says, like uh, the guide. And mm -hmm. in that guide, like we started with like uh, basic principles and architectural aspects of the, the software and the service. And then, uh, uh, slowly, it ended up becoming this master document for 
any SaaS project, any cloud project from the inception all the way to production, including like all the legal and business aspects as well. So uh, the thing is like any other initiative, we start with a goal of like making sure that it's lightweight, it's easy to consume and uh, make sure that like people are not gonna freak out when they see it. So, but uh, it is almost unavoidable to like create something like large that is much more comprehensive and what you need to do is to make sure that like it is presented in a in a document management system in a way that if you are an engineer you just exposed to the engineering part like how you make sure that like you can achieve like three nines what do we expect for business continuity what do we expect for like uh, api standards and if you are like a go-to-market person you should be able to filter out like what is for you what is it in it for you and be able to see those. Now, like we are trying to make sure that the the the, the final product, uh, even though it's not final, that the current product is easy to consume by different disciplines. So, and that document has like all of our like key things, like uh, how to announce a technical preview, how to announce a, a initial availability, how to announce a general availability, and uh, that is combined with like other like small. Uh, documents and tools that talks about like some of the basic things about uh, how to make sure that your service is going to be like uh, uh, designed in a way that like you're going to able to achieve like uh, three nines or four nines of availability. And uh, that is combined with like other functions within VMware, like we have an architectural committee that people go and present like before, uh, even at the idea phase. These are like all like part of like, I would call it like a conveyor belt. And uh, one thing that I always hear is like uh, the new people or like people who are, uh, who haven't seen this like in VMware before, uh, they may find it like a little bit scary. But uh, one thing that I've seen like with the switch to cloud is, uh, yes, it may look scary, but these are the things that we need because the cloud business is like, it is, it requires much more rigor and discipline. Mm -hmm. And uh, without that, you won't be able to like uh, create an infrastructure like uh, AWS, Azure or GCP. Mm -hmm. And as VMware, like we have products that are running in all those clouds, we consider ourselves as the Switzerland of like public clouds by mm -hmm. combining our existing products with all these public cloud offerings. And with that, we have no room for like uh, an issue that may take people's service like uh, many hours down. And that itself like enforces people to think like uh, twice, uh, if not three times before we do anything in production. Sure. Hence, hence, we need all these documents and we need all these like uh, uh, principles and guides in place. And uh, so far uh, they've been uh, working out well, but again, like uh, we've been uh, mentioning repeatedly, it's also a journey, it's a living document, it keeps changing. Yeah. And uh, it's also like uh, publicly available inside the company, anybody can like provide feedback or make updates. It's almost like a Wikipedia inside the company. Cool, cool. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, helpful to know that you have, you're using that as a framework for yeah how you make and operate things within, uh, VM, uh, yeah, within VMware. So I, I want to spend a few minutes, uh, Hussein, getting your thoughts on, uh, you know, cultural values and elements. I know you talked about it uh, briefly, and uh, or sort of, you know, you've alluded to it. 
uh, in in your agile devops journey at vmware you have talked about focus on time uh, focus on quality and focus on agility sort of those as as values uh, and i also recall uh, reading in one of your linkedin blog uh, you know uh, posts uh, about uh, certain aspects of uh, uh you know cultural elements that you believe in for example you know there's one around uh you know informal relationships among team members that is something that you that you value uh versus sort of having formal relationships uh you know transparency within the team uh focus on quality we already talked about it and then uh, the another another uh, uh item i re- recall reading is uh, having the right balance of metrics and intuition meaning uh, not uh, over f- uh, focusing on metrics because some sometimes people can get crazy with metrics right so yeah. um sort of uh, uh, so th- those were the areas i i remember uh, you know getting some of your views on on those uh, uh, those topics uh, but i wanted to just open it up in terms of uh, for any engineering team that you sort of built and led what do you believe are things that are uh, sort of uh, you know absolute uh, requirements and then depending on the context there may be specific cultural uh, requirements that may have to be built depending on the business context but then there is a general base set of cultural values that you as a leader yeah. believe in so i just want to get you know uh, your your thoughts on that yeah no it's it's a very important topic and uh, looks like you did a lot of research on like stuff that i've been posting so it's uh, <laughs> it is a it is a one of my passion and uh, i openly talk about it like inside the company or publicly in different uh, platforms and uh, uh i believe that like no matter what we do no matter what your job is like we are all in people business so uh and uh even like uh, uh if you watched like uh elon musk's uh, uh launch yesterday or the demo yesterday like uh even the core of that event was about recruiting mm-hmm. so and he openly mentioned it like and uh, they like and uh, he repeatedly asked every individual before they speak up like tell them like uh what what do you do and what is your name so mm-hmm. and uh, that was like quite interesting to see like even though like he was uh, asking that like repeatedly people were missing it and and uh no matter what you do like how complicated uh, technologically and i also remember like uh, uh the the popular uh, book by yuval uh, noah harari called the homo sapiens in uh, one part of the book he talks about like individuals who are working on like a, some kind of a nuclear reactor like some physicists like even when they like are together like outside of the world they talk about like humanly things they don't talk about like all the time about like science and the, like the, the particles and like the the stuff that they do sure so with that like i actually like uh, suggest everyone managers or individual contributors before they get into the business of like a uh, software or technology in general to read the book called peopleware it is a mm-hmm. book in uh, like uh, in uh, uh, it has two editions and uh, one of them is like a Uh, late 80s the other one is like a more recent uh, the improved uh, edition and uh, even there like it repeatedly talks about like every problem at the workplace at the end of the day if you go deep enough it's a people right. problem and right. uh, in the industry we all know that like the way we do interviews the way we do hiring uh, we rarely have issues with people like uh, intellectual horsepower like uh, they are good in like technical stuff they are good in like solving problems 
and uh, uh, recently we started to put more emphasis on like behavioral aspects of the, the interview process like and uh, uh, this was something I experienced myself uh, in when I was in Microsoft and uh, the, the criticality of that is like you're trying to find out like uh, the, what kind of a person is this like who are we hiring and I'm not a huge fan of like this notion called like cultural fit because uh, you might have heard that like the, the notion of cultural fit sometimes create like uh, issues around like a lack of diversity. Right. And uh, the thing is, it's a very sensitive uh, measure because cul uh, uh, cultural fit doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to hire like the next person who is identical to us. Actually, it should be the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it is more about like the, the values of that individual. If they are there, it is better if they are different. So it is better if the, the person is going to be complimentary on the behavioral side. And mm -hmm. uh, with all these together, one thing that I tell every team member in my organizations is uh, relationships are everything. So if you don't have relationships with your teammates, your like the, the next uh, the neighbor team or like the team in another organization, you cannot get things done. You will hit the wall one day and you are going to need help from people and you need to have the relations. And maybe it's also because like uh, where I grew up, like uh, the culture I grew up, like uh, people are much more like relationship centric and that's part of the life. And I try to replicate that at the workplace. One thing that I tell my teams is like uh, when they first hear, it's somewhat of a shocker when they see like this in a slide or when I first time tell, I tell them that we are not a family. And, uh, and uh, uh, the thing is, there's this fine line, like anything else in life, that yes, relationships are important, but we have to make sure that we are not end, and we are not ending up becoming family, because family is a very different formation and very different thing compared to being a team. So, if we are looking for a metaphor, if we are looking to mimic another organism uh, when forming our teams, that is like sports teams. So uh, just look for sports team and see like how sports team function. At the end of the day, they are all professionals, but they end up becoming like really close friends. And the best teams that you see do not you always have like all stars. Like best ones are the ones that has like the right the set of people coming together. There are a lot of studies on that as well. So. Uh, these are like some of the foundational values and uh, principles that I lay down when I uh, take over a team or when I'm building a team from scratch. And uh, uh, the, the, the danger of like becoming a family is like uh, the way I explain it is uh, uh, somewhat jokingly like uh, families like by definition are uh, uh, dysfunctional. So mm -hmm. uh, with the kids and uh, the spouses and uh, the way you operate, the other thing that I read in one HPR article was uh, in a family, you may have like core purpose, like as a family together, but actually everybody in the family has a different purpose. Mm -hmm. Like the kids, they want to do something else. They have like other purpose, like, but in a team, you expect to have one purpose. And mm -hmm. that also differentiates like team from a family. The other thing is uh, the workplace, professional and environment is a place that looks for business outcomes and results. 
And that is like the, the necessity, that's the core of like why that business exists. And because of that, you may end up having like uh, making some very hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And those hard decisions gets even harder when you, if you ended up becoming a family. Mm-hmm. So uh, because uh, the core thing in the family is also unconditional love. Unconditional mm-hmm. love like conflicts with like uh, business and like team type of like uh, environments. So uh, these are like some of the, the key things that I lay down. But in the meantime, uh, the like, for example, in the COVID days, one thing that we repeatedly tell people is like uh, uh, the key thing that everyone has to ensure is to make sure that like uh, your physical and mental health is top priority. If you don't have those, we are not going to able to get anything from you. And the way we share this in our like check-in meetings is like the top priority is like uh, in the in the plane like take off that take they that they tell you that like you put the mask on yourself first. We tell the team that take care of yourself physically and mentally. Take care of your family and uh, get involved with your community. And if you still have the energy, like do something for VMware. Mm-hmm. So in this order, because uh, it is really hard to imagine like every like home environment and what people have been going through. And especially when the schools are on and in different geographies, like the houses and the house setups are very different. And some locations, they are uh, uh, really small. So uh, this is also part of our culture, not just for engineering in general, like around like people centricity. So we pay extra attention to this type of stuff to make sure that our people are like really like feeling comfortable like uh just like uh doing their work like uh especially on the mental health side and combine that with uh like uh, what we do at work is like one thing that we've been paying attention uh, uh additionally is like a, a psychological safety so one example I can give you is like uh, the notion of like postmortem that we do after like incidents and like major issues that we have. So uh, uh, everybody knows the notion of like, uh, uh, like uh, uh, learn from your mistakes. So, uh, and uh, yes, like uh, one thing that uh, we repeatedly tell the teams are that uh, is that uh, there's no such thing as history repeats itself. History is not repeating itself. Uh, what is happening is we are not learning from our mistakes and we keep repeatedly making the same mistakes. And with that, we create an environment for people to be able to comfortably come and tell their mistakes. This is what we have done and it failed. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason mm-hmm. we had this incident which lasted like uh, 76 minutes mm-hmm. and explain like what you are gonna do and then you leave the room and nobody is gonna judge you for that. But you will be judged if this issue keeps repeatedly happening and when we do that we actually uh, not for the postmortem but the, the readouts are done by with the broader teams like all the service teams cloud services team across vmware to come and tell like what really has happened and with very openly and uh, and uh, uh, so that you make it much cheaper for people to learn from other people's mistakes so you don't have to wait for yourself to do the same mistake like these are the things that we've been paying extra attention. And actually uh, I personally uh, think that like, these are like some of the critical things that makes uh, VMware what VMware is today. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I think that's uh, really when you when you explain this uh, post-mortem, the way sort of you have done it with the services teams, uh, it reminded me of my time at uh, Data Domain where we used to call it uh, CLA meetings, closed loop analysis meetings where yeah. we would invite everybody to come and present. But yeah, that was, uh, uh, you know, a really, uh, uh, you know, an excellent learning that I had during my time at Data Domain in terms of how to do CLAs the right way because you can do CLAs uh, in many different ways and I think uh, it's the leadership that makes sure you do it the right way. So uh, thanks for uh, sharing that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, sort of echoes with my, my, my past experience at, at Data Domain. Uh, so, uh, Hussein, uh, I want to take a little bit of time on the sort of uh, development aspect of things, meaning making things. Uh, again, in the uh, in the journey uh, at at uh, VMware, you had talked about uh, some of the challenges around uh, uh, having uh, the uh, uh, the engineers, uh, you know, think like a developer, right? So, uh, so that that I, I recall reading it in one of the blogs where you said. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the biggest challenge was, you know, think, like have, making having them think like a developer. So I just wanted to, uh, you know, get get your thoughts a little bit more in terms of what what those challenges were and how you uh, address them, right? So that you yeah. know the listeners can also learn from, hey, you know, an, an experience that yeah. you've gone through. So uh, I believe that, like uh, we in uh, people in software in high tech industry, especially on the software side of the industry, are very blessed because like we have tools and we have capabilities uh, to be able to like turn things into code so that we eliminate the, the mundane work. And uh, that is the reason this industry has been like uh, so much shining and that's the industry, that's the reason it's an industry that's paying well and uh, getting a lot of like attention. And uh, the one thing that I see is like, even though this is like the core of the thing, like which is like uh, thinking like an engineer and uh, converting things into code. So that is the maker mentality, like in software world. So, but even with that, like a lot of like uh, technology companies, when you look at them, the the number of people like who are who are capable of like doing that thing is not necessarily at the level that they are like uh, like comparable to their overall size. So one thing that uh, we see uh, in uh, many companies because like uh, they are our customers and we go try to help them because VMware has been in the IT space, like helping companies like IT departments. And we are now like going into the developer side as well, like uh, with all the things happening on the, the cloud and Kubernetes side. But uh, on the IT side, what we see is like there's a lot of like individuals like technically savvy <clears throat> and they're really good and they have the system thinking mindset they can think about like many products coming together and working seamlessly they can design all these things but when you ask them to like write like a small script or like write like some automation they either can't do it or they don't have the passion to do that mm-hmm. so uh that is the reason uh I believe that we still have a lot of room in the technology companies to educate and train our people to become like, uh, I'm not expecting them to become like hardcore developers who are going to write like a a kernel level code or a filter driver one day. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because the coding, the development or developer today is very much different than what the developer was like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
because of the tools and the technological advancements like today, you can get your infrastructure team or a networking team to spend some time to pick up like Ansible, for example, mm -hmm. and write some Ansible scripts and uh, to automate your network infrastructure. Or like uh, learning like uh, some of the more modern languages is much easier than going and becoming like competent in like C, 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 C++. So uh, one thing that uh, we have been paying attention and we've been sharing this with our customers is uh, try to not split your IT organization from your engineering organization and make sure that like what you call IT actually owns very critical components for your company, especially if you are using your infrastructure to serve your customers as well, because your site is like serving customers to download bits. Your site is serving your customers to come and use like a marketplace, like to make purchases and all that uh, kind of stuff. And these are mostly owned by your IT department, like some application developers or some like people who are trying to keep these environments up. And uh, with, like this thing, like this need actually uh, evolved in uh, Google in the early 2000s and it actually gave us like what is called like today's site reliability engineers. Mm -hmm. and the reason we have SREs, the real SREs are actually people who are capable of like writing solid code for infrastructure. So one thing that was common like back in that time and even it's common now is like most of like the people like at infrastructure level or like systems level that backend people uh, are not necessarily codes and uh, they hardly write any code, but they are great understanding how things are working together. So uh, the teams, the companies that makes the leap to train their people to be able to like do automation are making like difference and actually making like a forward progress compared to other companies. There is this phrase for a reason like becoming so popular called infrastructure as code. So an uh, infrastructure as code combined with SRE is actually what you need. But when you do this, like any other new methodological changes that you are making in your organization, you should not just go and like change the titles and start using these new labels. So mm -hmm. when you are like taking an organization that's like working on infrastructure and you are converting them to like uh, SREs, that conversion is not a title change. Title will ultimately change. Title is not the, the, the leading effort. Title should be the training effort. First, mm -hmm. educate your people and make sure that like they are trained. And uh, my experience is like these individuals are usually very smart. And if mm -hmm. you take time and train them, they ended up becoming like individuals who can write code. I'm not calling them like hardcore developers, like as I said earlier but they should be able to like write things that's gonna like uh, eliminate the manual task. And uh, these things have been like uh, top of mind, like also in VMware, we have been like uh, uh, turning like our IT functions, IT infrastructure functions into engineering functions and uh, spending more time on like, and putting more emphasis on coding and uh, uh, like any other company, we have cases that we may end up like having like uh, the the, uh, the premature like title changes, but we are like uh, slowly like picking these up and cleaning up and uh, uh, going to the right direction. And uh, uh, 
again, like uh, those individuals, like uh, one thing that you see is like, I have this uh, slide that I show like in every presentation I have. Uh, now, like I like to talk a little bit about the DevOps portion of it because people oftentimes confuse like DevOps and SRE as well. Like one thing I tell people is, SRE is a job, like you are a site reliability engineer. You are essentially an engineer who writes code for the and for maintaining the site as well, all the way up to observability, anything in between like these two things from bottom to top. And uh, DevOps is an, an engineering culture. It's a way of doing engineering. And the reason we ended up having the notion of DevOps is because of the, the, the increase in the use of cloud and the cloud-based services, you needed to bring like operations, what we used to call operations back in the day, closer to the engineering team because the job of operations back then was to like uh, be the gatekeeper. So I remember like in my early days that there was a whiteboard that you go and write down like what is going in production and people go put uh, like you use like board marker and whiteboard like uh, it was like that like 20 years ago. Now, like uh, with the tools and like uh, the approaches that we have, you need to bring all these teams together and make sure that like to be able to achieve that fast cadence, which is the core of like uh, being able to deliver the cloud, fast cadence with higher quality and higher level of enterprise readiness, you need to have like those people working very closely and actually both sides picking each other's mindset. Ops mm -hmm. people picking up the developer mindset, developers picking up ops mindset. A developer cannot push a code in production without thinking like potential implications to infrastructure and vice versa. An operations person cannot do like infrastructure or operations without thinking the automation aspects of it. And when you start the, the journey of like creating this culture in your organization, you end up seeing that like uh, uh, the pushback from developers is like, uh, oh, you are turning me into ops person and I'm not gonna do that. And if you are gonna do that, I'm gonna leave. So uh, I, I actually, this dialogue is real. I heard this many times and some of them really left, which is okay. And the ones who are remaining a little bit like uh, play the role of like uh, being deniers, but ultimately when they see that this is real, they ended up becoming like uh, assimilated as well mm -hmm. and uh but in the meantime the 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 challenge of like training your ops people on the automation side on the development side is not an easy undertake either so you have to be very intentional you have to use like online training or like uh, the best thing that i've seen is like creating like a support environment inside your team so that people help each other I've seen like uh, people creating like work groups and getting together and uh, doing coding and like doing exercises uh, uh, as teams and uh, helping each other in that manner. And uh, am I an optimist to think that like all of them are going to turn into like an engineers of that sort? No, not all of them are going to become like that. But uh, the, the individuals who are like serious about it and intentional about it, like uh, usually ends up like picking them up. And again, you are not expecting them to become like C++ programmers. You expect them to be able to write scripts. You expect them to be able to like uh, use a PowerShell script, like uh, just like uh, leverage a command to make some API calls and understand like what REST APIs are, how I can like uh, just like make API calls. Like even that level of coding would be like huge game changer 
So mm -hmm. with that, like uh, we think that like uh, everybody in the org is an engineer because sometimes like people come and tell me that like I'm not an engineer. I tell people that if you are solving a problem in a methodical methodical way and if you have a structure in place, you are engineering something. But we want you to be more efficient engineer. So. It's not a question that if you are an engineer or not, you are an engineer, but you may not be efficient. So our job is to work together to fix that. So these are like some of the things that we've been doing. Like hopefully this answers your question. It's a little bit long, but sure, sure, no, no, definitely. I think it it, it makes sense uh, in terms of the challenges and how you've tried to get that developer mindset yeah, across operations as well. So definitely, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, uh, so the, the other uh, thing as part of the research uh, that, I, that I was doing on, on you and, and sort of the work that you've been doing, uh, Hussein, uh, was the, this uh, uh, initiative uh, around uh, production readiness assessment program at VMware. So I was just curious about your take because you talked about post-mortem. Uh, can can we call this as pre-mortem, for lack of a better term, yeah. in terms of how you, how you look at the, the production readiness assessment program and yeah. uh, you know how, how far along in the journey you are with that and and yeah your 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 thoughts on that? Yeah. No, actually, it's it's a great uh, great catch. So it's uh, it's uh, it makes a lot of sense to call it uh, pre-mortem because like uh, uh, we don't want uh, to have any casualties. So like to prevent that, like uh, uh, as part of our like. Uh, uh, cloud SDLC, we had a mechanism like uh, this was in one of the blog posts I shared like uh, late last year talking about like how we do production readiness assessment. And uh, all the large cloud companies have like similar processes. And again, this is the VMware version of it. And what we do is like uh, uh, we let every service team like from the day of inception that we have like all these tools in place so that like it would not, it should not become an afterthought. We still sometimes see like some teams like learning about it later on. And uh, when you don't know like the tools and frameworks like inside the company and uh, when you start like developing your service or your product or tool, and when you become aware of the, the, the those frameworks later on, it may be quite a lot of like uh, changes. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, it is better to like get familiar and that's the reason we tell people, uh, we try to like uh, educate people on this and we have like uh, brown bags and we share them like uh, uh, across the company to ensure the, the level of awareness. So one thing that we use as a motto is, uh, there's no such thing as over communication. So just keep talking about it. And uh, in uh, production readiness assessment, uh, we tell the services team that like, uh, there are like uh, four or five pillars that we look at, like all the way from like uh, availability, resiliency, like uh, compliance, uh, security, performance, and uh, all these aspects, like including business continuity, to make sure that like we are not really going into details of like the functionality of the service, because there are like so many services and we cannot become like experts in every service. But mm -hmm. these core foundational components are pretty much common across like all the services. We like to make sure that like we follow the same principle so that when we let a product or a service go for like a, a initial availability, they can achieve certain level of uh, 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 availability in production. So uh, if they're not meeting that, uh, we work with them to see how we can mitigate it. And uh, one interesting thing that we do, like this is again, like a living uh, uh, document and living process that are real human beings. They come together with the service engineering teams and uh, 
one thing that we wanted to make sure that this doesn't turn into an interrogation. So again, like this goes along with our notion of like psychological safety. In the beginning, there was that nervousness when we first started. People thought that like uh, they're gonna go in a room, we sit like, uh, that was like pre-COVID time. This has been around like for some time. And uh, uh, everybody is nervous like when somebody goes and questions like what they implement. And uh, again, relationship comes into picture. If people know who we are and if they have the credibility, if they know what we have done, they it, it's much easier to bring them to table. And when they are at the table, like uh, uh, we make sure that the people on my side of the team that does the production readiness assessment use a very careful language in a very kind manner that like people do not feel like they are being like a question. And mm -hmm. this is the human side of the approach. On the technical side of it, of course, like we look for like uh, areas like uh, if we are gonna have like uh, uh, multiple availability zone support, so that we are gonna be we are gonna have like high availability or like uh, stuff like uh, 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 the things that they they may miss around like uh, the the compliance and all these basic stuff like that they may not thought about like could be caught during that uh, that process and uh, in the end what we have done is this was like this came up like from uh, one of the team members like i thought like this is a great idea which is instead of like us like uh, grading the teams like first of all uh, we thought like should we give them letter grades should we give them like a grade out of 10 and uh, again like these are all like cultural aspects and how we are sensitive about ensuring that people are feeling comfortable so uh, some people may think that this is too much detail but uh, believe me like they all help and we said like for every attribute that we are rating, we are gonna use like Harvey ball. And uh, mm -hmm. like, uh, we are gonna do like a one eight of an Harvey ball, like a granularity level. You may think that, oh, okay. Like it might be like, uh, this is almost like a rating one to eight. But like when you use like a pie chart, like a Harvey ball, uh, it is like a much lighter way to like uh, show people like how we assess them. The next step was, how are we gonna rate them? Like, are we gonna go in a room like a jury and just tell them like this is how we rate it? We said, no, let's finish it. And let's finish the meeting and the event, the assessment, and let the service team go back and come for a debrief next day by assessing themselves. Mm -hmm. Actually, they rate themselves. And what we have done like few times is like, of course, like we do our own assessment as well, like just to compare notes. And uh, interestingly, you see that like teams are, when you go with this approach, teams are getting harsher in general, they are harsher to themselves. Interesting, so, self-critical. Yes, so that self-critical part was like very helpful. It was eye-opening, but they turned out to be a great thing. And uh, after there those ratings, if there are things that are rated relatively low, but not critical, <clears throat> we give a signal that you guys can go to production or technical preview or initial availability or general availability, whatever that milestone is. And if they have issues, we in a way ask them to like mitigate it and uh, mitigate them. And uh, we work with them, we explain them how they can mitigate it. And uh, for example, one thing that we've been very particular lately is like this whole notion of like uh, scheduled maintenance. So, uh, we are trying to make sure that there's no such thing as scheduled maintenance. So we are in an era that like uh, with multi availability zone and everything, you should be able to like take one of your site down and upgrade and 
just do like a blue-green type of upgrades and uh, just like do not take your service down entirely. So uh, some people may say, oh, our customers are okay if we do this like uh, Saturday 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. But the thing is, as a global company, like uh, your Saturday 3 a.m. may be like uh, the middle of the day for some other customer in some other location. And uh, uh, if they don't have like these basic stuff like uh, the, uh, the schedule maintenance or like the, if they have things that may hurt their ability to hit like three nines off the bat, like uh, we uh, repeatedly tell them like we have the budget of like 43 minutes and if you are going to spend like this much time on this, your budget is going to be like cut by half. And uh, uh, there are times that we uh, grant exception if it is like uh, mitigatable. And if not, we ask the team to go back and work on it. And then uh, they go back and like uh, come up with a new date. And then they explain us like what they changed. And then with that, like uh, we sign off and they go to production. And we don't do that. I don't want this to be perceived as like, oh, in VMware, like before you go to production, every little check-in, you go through this process. No, this is for major milestones and also for first time ever going to production. Otherwise, like there are like teams making like check-ins to production like uh, many times a day. So this is like a more generic broad uh, process to be able to assess like architectural and uh, the much broader, bigger picture uh, structure of the service. Cool, great. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks, Hussein. Yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, learning for, for me personally in terms of, you know, how, uh, you folks have gone through this journey at at VMware. I, as I said, although I had read, uh, uh, you know, about uh, what you have published and what you have talked about at the conferences, to me, I, I sort of, uh, you know, heard, heard things that that were, uh, uh, you know, coming from the lion's mouth. And so, it it was definitely, you know, helpful to to have the context behind, uh, you know, uh, the 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 journey there. And uh, it's interesting about your observation as well that this is a, a journey, and uh, you know, it's 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 an ongoing yeah journey. So. I, I wish you and the team the best on, on the on the journey at at VMware, and want to once again thank you for the for the time um, uh, taken to yeah come and uh, share your thoughts.